0: What's up, fam? Hey, guys. Hey, let's welcome the whole family. We got uh, our our family both locally as well as globally in our online campus. Let's welcome them in today. Hey, I'm pumped. Um... Because of what's about to happen here over the next few minutes, but especially what's going to happen when I say amen today, it's going to be really good, okay? So here's the big idea. Um, Here's what I want, and I believe that the Lord wants this as well. Here's what I want by the time that we're done today, okay, is I want you to know that you know God, and I want you to know that God knows you. So by the time that we're done today, I want you to know clearly whether or not you're saved. So if you're in, let's go. Let's go. go. Come on. Um, All right. So if you're newer with us, we spent the last few weeks um, journeying through... What I think are probably some of the most difficult verses in the entire Bible They're here, right at the very end of Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount. And kind of this thought that we've been hovering around over the last few weeks is that truly, probably some of the best, most loving advice you could ever hear in your entire life is to look both ways before you cross over to the other side. And that's what Jesus does with us. And so what we did is we kind of took a week and we looked this way and we saw that Jesus actually says, God in the flesh says, the path to destruction is broad. And then we took a week and we looked this way and Jesus says the path to heaven is actually really narrow. And then we took a week and we talked about the awe of God or the fear of the Lord. And then last week we talked about false prophets and false teachers. And today, everybody say today. We are diving into the verse that keeps every pastor up at night. Um, today, we are talking about the three, the three verses that I think are the most sober, um, the, the, possibly for some of us, the, the, the scariest, the most solemn verses in the entire Bible because it's here in Matthew 7, verse 21, that Jesus says this. Not everyone... Jesus says, on that day. Does everybody know that there will be that day for every single one of us? Every single one of us has a that day when we will stand before Jesus Christ himself and we will give an account. There is a future day that lies ahead of every single one of us. And on that day, we will stand before Jesus. And and what Jesus actually says right here is that many people will hold up their orthodox truths about him, that Jesus is Lord other people will hold up their zeal in front of them. They didn't just say, Lord, they actually said Jesus is Lord, Lord. Like that's that's the most Hebrew way of adding an exclamation point. You know what I'm saying? Like Lord, Lord. Other people are gonna hold up their good works in front of them and say, I did this and I did that and I did this and I did that. And I think right beside that, one of the most sobering things is Jesus doesn't argue with them. He doesn't say you're wrong. He doesn't say you didn't have the right orthodox truth. He does not say that you didn't have enough passion. He didn't say that you didn't do those things. All he does is he says this, and I believe he says it with a tear coming down his eye. He says this, I never knew you. And so come on, guys, let's go there. We all live in social media world, so maybe that makes a little bit more sense for us in this this sort of context. How many of you know on social media, it's possible to follow someone But they don't follow you back. Right? And has this ever happened to you? You follow somebody, and then you like see them in the grocery store, and you're like, hey, congratulations on the family. And they're like, who the heck are you? Has that ever happened to you before? Like somebody's like Facebook stalking you. And so like they know you, they know about you, but you don't know who they are. And I believe that Jesus, here's what he's showing us here right at the very top. He's saying, guys, this whole thing, this whole thing, it's less about what you say, and it's even less about what you do, and it's really about who you know and who knows you. And this is why this one verse, I'm telling you guys, it keeps pastors up at night because I... I, I, by, new, by numbers, I know this, I pray against this, I stand against this, I rebuke this, but I, I, I have the sneaking suspicion that there will be people from victory, come on guys, who grow up their whole life in this church, who become members at this church, who serve in this church, who, who said the sinner's prayer in this church, who tithe in this church, who do the good works in their church, who raise up their kids in this church, that on that day, they will stand before Jesus and they'll be like, Who are you? And I think we have to understand, we have to allow it to kind of sober us for a second that it's possible to spend every Sunday in church and still spend eternity in hell. Because on this journey of looking both Ways before we cross over to the other side of of choosing to walk on the straight and narrow path of Jesus Christ. He's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. There is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved than the name of Jesus, of walking on that path. Last week we saw that Jesus tells us that there are other people who will try and snatch us off of that path. But today what we're seeing is Jesus is saying is that there's some of us who think we're on the path, but we're really not. And last week, Jesus said there's a bunch of false prophets. This week, Jesus says there are also many false disciples. That there's people who think that they're saved, but they're really not. The, 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 The Puritans called this a false peace. Having a false peace in your soul. And that should begin waking all of us up. Anybody starting to wake up a little bit today? I'm not talking about your body, I'm talking about your soul. Come on, like, like the sobriety of the soul is starting to wake up. But here's the deal, I, I know it might sound, for some of us it might sound a little confusing, because we're like, wait a second, if those guys don't get in, come on, the guys who, who look like they're saying the right thing and doing the right thing, like if they don't get in, what hope do I have? Anybody there? No, it's just me? Okay. May, okay, here's the deal. Maybe you remember the seven sons of Sceva? From the book of Acts, if you don't remember, I'll tell you real quick, It's seven seven sons who were kind of like professional exorcists. I know you're like, oh, we're Halloween already? No, 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 we just left that behind. Um, but back, especially back at that time, they would like pay people to come and cast out demons. And so these seven dudes roll into this demon-possessed guy, look at him, and they say, in the name of Jesus, who Paul preaches, come out. And the demon goes, meh, you know, like, I don't know. And looks at him. And he says this, he says, I know Jesus and I've heard of Paul, but who the heck are you? By the way, you never want to hear a demon say that. It's not, doesn't turn out well. Didn't turn out well. Here's the question: Do we understand it's possible to know his name but not know him? Do we understand it's possible to say Lord, Lord, but he's not our Lord, Lord? Come on, guys. And here's the deal, here's the deal. And uh, let me say it like this. Jesus, at the end of the day, he doesn't want this verse to be scary for you. He wants it to sober you. In fact, let me just say it like this. this. is Jesus doing this, Jesus saying this, is actually the most loving thing he could possibly do for us because he's trying to wake us up. Let me say it like this, guys. Jesus wants you to read these words so you never have to hear these words. Jesus wants to wake us up today so we can awaken to this reality today so we'll never have to hear on that day, I never knew you. And I'm just going to tell you guys good news. God wants you to leave here today knowing that you know God and that he knows you because there is a certain way to be certain that you are saved. So here's the question, okay? How can I know that I'm saved? Here's the first thing, here's the first thing, most important thing, write it down, make this part of your life. How can I know that I'm saved? Is that I'm saved by grace, through faith, not by my works. I'm saved by grace, through faith, not by my works, okay? So back in the day, um, here at Victory, we, uh, as pastors, we used to interview every single person who joined the church. I know some of you are like, wow. I'm glad I joined last month instead of back then. <laughs> There's too many people now. We can't we we can't do that anymore. Uh, but when we did these interviews, we used to ask them the question of all questions, and we said, "Hey, God forbid, but if you left here today and had." a a tragic traffic accident or choked on some sushi or fell over a cliff, you know, and and you happen to find yourself standing before God in heaven. And he asks you, why should I allow you to enter my home? What would you tell him? And as you can imagine, we got every answer under the sun. Like, well, my mama went to church. Uh, I was a good person, grandmama prayed for me. Uh, my personal favorite was this one. Um, I, th- I think that me and God are just gonna work it out. When I, I heard that one more than once. Like, you just gonna work it out? Like, and it was always the intellectual guys. Well, well, I think we'd have a conversation. And it was kind of like, if I ask him the questions and he answers them sufficiently, I think I'll go to heaven, like, you know? Like God's the one under examination. But every once in a while, maybe, maybe a third of the time we heard something like this. Why can't I go to heaven? It's only because of Jesus. It's only, I trusted that he paid the price for my sin. I couldn't earn it. I couldn't deserve it. It was by his grace, and I freely received it, and I put my life into it, and be only because of Jesus. That's the only reason that I can come in through that narrow gate into the presence of the Father. but way less than I would have thought we would have for people joining the church. Here's the deal, guys. The bedrock scripture explaining how we're saved from sin and death is this, Ephesians 2, 8. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works, not by our works, so that no one can boast. Here's what we have to know. Guys, please write this down. We are not saved by our works. Come on, guys! I know we live in that trophy mentality. Got to, got to please God. Got to please your parents. Got to please the government. Got to please everybody. We are not saved by our works. As if we could somehow tip the scales one day. Come on, like I, you know, if I buy enough Girl Scout cookies, help enough old ladies across the street. Come on, if I, if I can just do it just right, I can finally tip the scales where God will be like, fine. I guess I got to let you in now. Come on in. (laughs) Because here's the question: How good is good enough? Here's a hint. Perfect. Perfect. You gotta be perfect. And what happens is these people on that day, what they're gonna say is, Jesus, we did all these things in your name. And Jesus, in essence, is saying, guys, it's not about doing things that saves you. You understand that, right? Like living positively, having good vibrations. Recycling, saving the earth doing social justice like that doesn't save you your works don't save you why because those works could never make you perfect you sinned once and so you already blew it so what's the answer we're not saved by our works we're saved by God's grace through Jesus's works God's grace poured out in the perfect death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. Grace is God giving us what we don't deserve. And when we were at our worst, God gave us his best in his son, Jesus Christ. God put on a skin suit and came down to sinful, broken, rebellious, lost sheep. And he climbed on the cross and he took the punishment for our iniquity in his hands, in his feet, in his side, on his head, crucified, dead dead, buried, third day, God roars, the stone rolls away, breath enters back into his lungs as if the father said, I accept that sacrifice, and by that sacrifice, we are cleansed, we are redeemed, we are made new, you are not who you used to be, because you didn't earn it, Jesus earned it, and we're not saved by our works, we're saved by his grace, through his works, and we access his works through our faith. Through our faith. But here's the beautiful thing. As theologians would conquer it, they would say, we're just the the subject of of prevenient grace. Prevenient grace means God gives you the grace soup in your life to condition your heart to even say yes to him. So guess what? You can't even take credit for saying yes. God made a way, he called you, and then enabled you to say yes. So guess what? He gets all the glory. He gets all the glory for it. He is the glory. By grace, through faith, not by works. And now somebody's asking, well, how is that different than what the guys on that day are going to say? Well, Martin Lloyd-Jones says it like this. He says, to be a Christian means that we must rest our entire case, our whole salvation, our whole eternal destiny entirely upon the Lord Jesus Christ. That is why a true Christian says, Lord, Lord, guess what, on that day, you will say, Lord, Lord, too. It does not just mean saying the right words. It indicates that we mean those words when we say them. And guys, I know it seems like such a small twist, but it is the twist that makes all the difference in the world. Are they simply words that you say or are they words that you mean? That's what faith is. Do I just say the words or do I mean the words that I say? Some of us need to hear this, and this is always the trap. I feel it as a pastor. Listen, whenever we give the sinner's prayer, right, like there is the possibility that you're just giving it lip service, and you may walk away from that moment feeling like, oh, I'm, I'm saved from sin and death because I said a magic formula. There is no such thing as a magic formula. Do you have faith that moved into the deepest place of who you are? And this is why the early church reformers, listen, they laid out the three steps of saving faith. So listen, have you have you walked through this path? Here's the first one, is information. You have to have the right information. Why? The truth will set you free. You have to have the right information about Jesus. And the second step of saving faith is what's called intellectual assent. In other words, I had the right information, but then I came into this place of believing that that information was true. But tragically, that's where most people stop is believing a set of truths, and they never step into the third thing, personal trust. This whole thing called faith is not just about believing a set of ideas. It's actually trusting and putting your whole life into those ideas. This is when faith moves past your head down into your heart. Let me say it like this. James, James talks about this in James 2.19. He says, you believe that there's one God? Great. Even the demons believe that, and they're terrified, So listen, the worst thing you could do is to leave a church and be like, I believe in God, I'm a Christian. No, 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 demons believe in God. You understand that the devil has the right information and he believes it's true. The devil's not confused whether or not Jesus is Lord, but that Jesus is not his Lord. He has no personal trust in it. How many of you know there's a difference, there's a big difference in saying Jesus is the Lord in making Jesus your Lord. That's what we're talking about. And so maybe we can read Romans 10, 9 a little bit differently. This is it at the bedrock. A lot of people claim this, but it says if, no, the next one, uh, um, sorry, Romans 10, 9. It says, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Now, here's the deal. A lot of people would, would say, well, I, I believe Jesus is, is the Lord, right, and I believe that he rose again. Demons can say Jesus is the Lord. Actually, I can't say it. But gem- demons believe that Jesus is the Lord and that he rose again. But they will never actually step into the real heart of what belief is. In, in, the, in the original language, that belief actually means to trust. It means to completely trust Do I confess with my mouth that Jesus is my Lord, and do I believe in my heart in the deepest place of who I am? It's not just lip service. It's not just information out there, but it's actually information that's moved into a head knowledge, that's moved into the deepest place of faith in my life to completely trust that Jesus is who he says that he is, and he will do everything that he said he will do in my life. Because remember, Jesus says, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, and, and I'll say, listen, the only one who can enter into the kingdom is the one who does the will of my Father. So only if we knew what the will of the Father was. Oh, thank God we have the Bible. John 6, 40, Jesus says, for this is my Father's will. What? What? Because here's the danger, guys, here's the danger. We hear only the one who does the will of my Father. So we're like, oh, of course, I gotta do the 613 commandments in the Old Testament. Come on, I gotta get into works, I gotta do it just right, and one day I'll finally tip the scales and make God love me. No, 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 no. This is the Father's will and the Father's purpose that everyone who sees the Son and believes in and cleaves to and trusts in and relies on him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up from the dead at the last day. Believes in, cleaves to, trust in, relies on him. Say it again. Believes in, cleaves to, trust in, relies on him. This is not a head knowledge. This is actually, I've put my whole life into Jesus. This is what the Father's will is, that we would have the right information, that we would come into agreement with that information, and then we would personally trust our lives to it. Here's what this looks like. Let me give you a picture. uh, back Back in the days of the daredevils, um, there, was a, there was a performer named the Great Blondin, and in 1860, he went to Niagara Falls, all right? And he did the tightrope thing, and he walked it, and he carried boxes across, he carried some stuff across. Um, and then he, he right, right when the, he had the crowd right where he wanted them, he got in front of them. He said, who believes I can carry a person across the falls? And they go, ah, yeah, we do, we believe, we believe. And he said, who wants to see me carry a person across the falls? And they're like, yeah! It's about to happen, and then he says, "Who wants to be that person?" <laughs> cricket, cricket, cricket. Nobody. God, let's say focus. Until one person steps forward and he jumps on Blondin's back and he piggybacks him across the falls, and they took a picture. They all believed, but one personally trusted. One person had real faith. Hear me. One person had the type of faith that would cause you to get off of solid ground and to put your whole life on somebody else's back, to trust them to get you safely to the other side. Guys, there is a difference between believing Jesus can and trusting him to do it for you. And that is what it looks like to be saved by grace, through faith, not by your works, but trusting Jesus's works. Because guess what, guys? If you try and help that guy, you're about to die. You just have to trust him to get you safely across to the other side. And if you have done that with Jesus, you're saved. You're saved. Don't try and complicate it. You're saved. Now, here's the deal. Some of you are starting to get really irritated because you want me to talk about this second thing. So let's talk about it real quick. How can I know I'm saved? I'm saved by grace, through faith, not by my works. Here's the second thing. That faith will produce works. Because, listen, now let's just go there. Some of you are like, oh, James says, you know, faith without works is dead. What about works? You got to talk about works. First off, calm down. (laughs) Calm down. Pharisees. All right. All right. Here's what I'd say to this, okay? Don't confuse what the gospel requires with what the gospel produces, Don't confuse what the gospel requires with what the gospel produces, because here's an ancient saying, okay, is that salvation is by grace through faith alone, but faith will never be alone. Faith will have evidence, and that evidence is called obedience, and if you are truly born again, your life will show it. Your life will show it, okay? When you place, why? Because when you place your faith in Jesus, God's grace didn't just save you God's grace empowers you to walk in victory over sin. Now, don't get it twisted, though. Don't confuse what the gospel requires with what the gospel produces. Are you working from salvation or are you working for salvation? No, listen, when you work for salvation, you miss the whole point of the gospel because it's not about your works. But when you work from salvation, that is the point of the gospel because even the end of Ephesians 2, 8 says you're saved by grace through faith, not by your works, it's God's gift. So because you were created in Christ Jesus to do good works, you've been saved to do good works. So faith will produce good works. But listen, guys, good works will never produce faith in salvation. We're not working for it, we're working from it. And God did not just uh, uh, save you from sin. He empowers you over sin. D.A. Carson says it like this. He says, no man enters the kingdom because of his obedience. But it is equally true that no man enters the kingdom who's not obedient. It is true that men are saved by God's grace through faith in Christ. But it is equally true that God's grace in a man's life inevitably results in obedience. In other words, if you're truly saved, your life will reflect it your life. So can a Christian sin? Yes. Some of you are like, what? I thought I lost my salvation last week. No, no, no. Listen, man. Listen, even First John chapter 2. Um, it's not up here. John says, he says, I'm writing all this so you won't sin. But here's the deal. If you do sin, He says, there is an advocate in heaven, and his name is Jesus Christ, and he is the propitiation for your sins. So here's the deal. It's not God's grace that we would sin, but we still struggle with flesh. Well, our, our, the, 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 the spirit is willing, but sometimes the flesh is weak. Sometimes we wrestle in this body, and it's not God's wind, the, the, uh, will that we would sin. But if we sin, good news. Jesus lives to make intercession for the saints, and his blood still covers your sin. And he wants to rescue you and pull you out of that life. So can any Christian sin? Yes. But can a Christian continue living in the same sin unrepentant? I don't know. I don't think so. But here's the deal. I'm not God. I'm not the judge. I can look at the fruit, and I can see if you're an apple tree and you're making orange juice. That's not how it's supposed to work. Why don't we know? Well, some of you are like, I don't understand. Why? Because Christian doesn't sin. No, no, no. I'm talking about continued sin, the same sin, unrepentantly. Because listen, those of you who are followers of Christ, when you sin, what emotion overtakes you? Sorrow, guilt, grief. Why? Because the Holy Spirit lives on the inside of you. And when you're born again, your spirit comes alive. You're born again. You're born of water and of spirit. You're born of your mama and you're born of the Lord. And when that happens, the Holy Spirit comes to move inside you. And when you sin, it grieves the Spirit of God. And so there's this tension. There's this turmoil of the soul. It says, ah, it doesn't feel right. I can't live in this. i got to get out of this. Oh, God, forgive me once again. But if, if that, that conviction happens and you knowingly commit a sin and you feel no sorrow and you continue on in it, you have to ask yourself, am I really actually a Christian? Or did I just say a prayer in church one time? Listen, guys, if God extends grace to forgive and to empower over sin, and you say, awesome, now I get to go sin more. I don't know. I can't judge it at the end of the day, but I do know that's not how a Christian responds to God's grace. But if God extends grace to you, and you say again, like, again, God, that you would pour out your mercy and your grace on me again? That I'm, 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 I'm a sinner? I am ashes to ashes and dust to dust? Yet you love me, yet you extend mercy and grace and forgiveness to me once again? What a precious gift. <sighs> that's, how, that's how somebody who's saved talks. And maybe right now what you're beginning to discern is this. Have I picked up my cross to follow Jesus? Or did I just kind of say a magic formula, add Jesus to my life and start going to church? And, and yeah, I get there whenever I want to, and I raise my hands if I like the sound of the music, and I'll listen to the guy in the microphone talk, but I really have no intention of ever doing what he says. And this is why Jesus says this, Luke six forty six. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? Do y'all recognize Lord, Lord? It's the same words. People are gonna say at the very end on that day. Yet some today, some people sit here in church and we raise our hands and we're like, Lord, Lord, and he's like, who are you? Why are you saying Lord, Lord, but you don't do what I say? Why, why do you claim Christ, but deny Christ with your life? Because listen, when a born again believer reads those words, listen, Lord, Lord, and not do it, when we read those words, if you're born again, it, it pierces the heart. Maybe some of you have been living uncompromised and you just got woken up and your heart starts to waking, it'll be like, ah, ah, that's not okay. Yes, God, by your grace, by your empowerment, I will, I, I will receive being rescued out of that sin and death right there. God, I'm not gonna continue in that way because when a born-again believer gets convicted by the Holy Spirit, they, they press the eject button, man, they get out of that sin. But here's the deal, what we have to be the people, the, the, the one who claims Christ has to be the one who bows their knee to the word of Christ. So in other words, when God speaks to sexuality, we bow our knee. When God speaks to heart motive, we bow our knee. When God speaks to money, we bow our knee. When God speaks to political idolatry, come on somebody. We bow our knee. When God speaks to offense, we bow our knee. When God speaks to loving our neighbors, we love ourselves, we bow our knee. Because faith in Jesus Christ will produce works. We're not working for salvation, we're working from salvation because now the Holy Spirit set up shop on the inside of me and I'm a new person. And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses me from my sins. And now he's renewing my mind and I'm starting to think differently about sin. And guys, here's here's the truth. A Christian is not somebody who lives perfect, but somebody whose life is looking a little bit more like Jesus. Because the inward work of the Holy Spirit, every single day, look a little bit more like Jesus because the one who began the good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And when you find somebody whose faith in Jesus is now producing works for Jesus, that's somebody who's saved. That's somebody who's saved. So how do I know that I'm saved? Because I'm saved by grace, through faith, not by my works, and then that faith actually begins producing works inside my life. So where do we go from here? Let's land right here. Here's the third thing. How do I know I'm saved? I have to trust that my sin isn't stronger than his salvation. I have to trust that my sin is not stronger than Jesus' salvation in my life. And here's why this is so important. Here's why this is so important. Because if we're not careful, in just a minute, let me just give you a spoiler alert, okay? In just a minute, we're gonna pray. And I'm gonna ask you, if you're crossing the line of faith into Jesus Christ, go ahead and prepare yourself. I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand in just a minute. And if we're not careful, if we don't really understand what salvation is, here's what's gonna happen. Some of you are gonna raise your hand today, and then you're gonna raise your hand next week. And then in 2027... As long as the Lord tarries, you're going to raise your hand again to keep getting born again, again, and again, and again, and saved again, and again, and again. Listen, listen, listen. It is finished. It is finished. If you have confessed with your mouth that Jesus is your Lord, if you have jumped on his back and trusted your past, your present, and your future into his control and now that faith is producing works, then you don't need to be born again again. You don't need to get saved every Sunday. Because listen, that's no way to live. That's not what the gospel is. Listen, I I know the, the condemnation that you would live with if you think you have to get born again every single Sunday. But I know what's happening, listen, I know what's happening. You're, you're, you have this sensation, well I've sinned, I feel guilty. Yes, absolutely. But do not confuse salvation with sanctification. Salvation is a one-time event where Christ comes into your life, you're adopted into the family of God, the Holy Spirit sets up shop inside your life, your body is now the temple of the Holy Spirit. Sanctification is daily, daily, daily walking in holiness, even though a righteous man falls seven times, he gets back up. That's salvation and holiness, salvation and sanctification. Here's how Jesus says this, guys, and we need to cling on to this. John 10 28, Jesus, Jesus says, I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Guys, listen, please, please hear this. Christ is holding on to you with his everlasting arms, and he will not let you go. He will. Jesus' blood is stronger than your sin. Jesus' blood. It's not like, oh, well, I sinned on, on Thursday, so I'm lost at that moment. And if I got in a car crash after I lied to my mom, now I'm going to hell. Jesus' blood is stronger than your sin. And no one will snatch you from his hands. Remember this, guys. Jesus, on that day, he will say, I never knew you. He did, he did, he's not gonna say, I used to know you, but you screwed it up. You screwed it up, messed up your one chance that you had. No, he says, I never, I, we never even had a thing at all. Listen, no one will snatch you from his hand. Jesus' blood isn't so weak, and your sin is not so strong that you lost your salvation this week. So if you are born again, trust that God will finish the good work that he began in you. But you're not going to lose it on Wednesday. i going to lose it. Listen, the enemy wants you living in that fear. Jesus doesn't want you living in that fear. He wants you to live secure in your salvation, that no one will ever snatch you out of His hands. So how can I know that I'm saved? Okay, I kind of liken it to marriage. All right, is that you might forget the date that you got married once. But you don't forget that when you got married, somebody moved in with you. And it changed how you think and how you talk and how you live. And they've been living with you ever since. Family, when you got saved, Jesus moved in with you. And he's been living with you ever since. And it started to change the way you think and the way you live and the way you talk. And listen, you talk to some people and they're like, ah, I'm not really sure if I'm saved or not. I don't know. Like, maybe, oh, sure. Yeah, sure. yeah, I think I am. Okay, let's liken it to marriage. Hey, Johnson, are you married? Ah. I don't know. I don't Sure, 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 I'm married. You think, that dude is whack. Here's what the Lord wants you to be established and rooted and grounded in. If you have confessed Jesus is the Son of God and your Lord, and you've jumped on His back to have Him carry you to the Father, and you've experienced the evidence of the Holy Spirit changing you from the inside out, you are saved. You're saved. And if you haven't, what are you waiting for? Here's the good news, guys. You don't have to hear on that day, I never knew you. Because the good news is today, the door's still open. And the door's name is Jesus Christ. And today can be the day that you do the will of the Father to believe in, to cling to, and to put all your trust in the one who can safely get you to the other side. And his name is Jesus. Let's talk to him about it. Let's bow our heads. (sighs) God, you are good Here's the deal, let's just say it as plainly as we can Right now, if you're feeling condemned It may be because you are Because of outside of faith in Jesus Christ Your sin condemns you Because you can't save yourself There is no self-rescue when it comes to sin because you're dead in your sin. And so one who's living must come to rescue the dead. And the one who's living's name is Jesus Christ because he paid the price so we could be saved and then he rose again. He died in our place and rose again. So now he's freely able to forgive sin and to resurrect us back to walk in newness of life and if today your your sin condemns you confess it confess it to god say god i'm a sinner turn to jesus ask him to save you from sin and death and we're going to do that we're, we're just going to have a prayer right here but again I, I just need to say this as clear as i can these are not magic words this has to originate within your heart this is faith this is what faith actually looks like is actually having a life that says i agree and I will live out what I'm saying right here with God's help. So here's the deal. If today's the day, crossing the line of faith, maybe you've been coming to church for a while and you had intellectual assent, but you never had personal trust. Or maybe it's your first time hearing the gospel today that Jesus Christ died in your place to forgive your sins. And the Holy Spirit moves in on the inside of you to live the rest of your life for God. And now you're no longer an orphan. You're brought into the family of God. If today's the day you're crossing the line of faith, I just wanna ask you very simply, lift up your hand. Well, I know who I'm talking to right here. Yeah, it's good. It's a lot of us. It's a lot of us. I see your hand. I see your hand. I see your hand. I see your hand. You can put your hands down. Now, here's what I'm gonna say, guys. I'm about to lead you in a prayer. Next week, don't raise your hand. Because this is it. This is it. This is the moment of faith. This is the moment that you're born again. Okay, so let's pray like this. And family around these guys, let's pray together. Let's pray like this. Say, Jesus... I deeply believe you're the son of God. And I personally trust you died on the cross to forgive my sins. I personally trust that you rose from the dead, giving me victory today and eternal life one day. I repent of my sin. I leave it behind. I surrender my life into your hands. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for bringing me into your family. And right now, Holy Spirit, come live in me to empower me to live for you the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, let's celebrate. Let's celebrate. Let's celebrate. Come on. Let's celebrate. Let's celebrate. Death to life. Hell to heaven. I love it, I love it, I love it. All right, that was amazing, but now we're about to take another step. Now here's what's amazing, is we ended early on that part. I know you ain't got nowhere to go. So we ended early, okay? You were already planned on being here longer. So here's what we're gonna do, okay? If you already registered for baptism, go ahead and stand up, I and mean, stand up and walk out these doors right over here. Let's go ahead and open up these doors right over here. We're about to have a crazy God moment. You already registered for baptism. Once you step outside, come over in this direction. (laughs) Yeah, all over here goes all the way over here. If you're over in the family room or the overflow room, once you just kind of work your way this way, we'll give you instruction on that. Hey, while we're doing that, let me pause and let me address a second group of people, okay? There's a second group of people. Some of you did not already register, but maybe over the course of the last few minutes, you're like, I need to get water baptized. Go ahead and start moving. Okay, here's the deal. Some of you just came to faith in Jesus. You're like, I don't even really understand what water baptism is. Let me give you a 60 second water baptism class, okay? Is that water baptism is your next step after coming to faith in Jesus. Okay, step one, faith in Jesus. Step two, water baptism, okay? Um, In essence, this is an outward sign of an inward reality. Even the scriptures would say it like this, water baptism is a picture of Jesus, that with Jesus in baptism, we are buried with Jesus in the water, and then we are resurrected to walk in newness of life. And so that's really what water baptism, it is is in essence, us going down with the old and coming up to live in newness of life. And this is a public declaration of faith in Jesus Christ, okay? So if you didn't know that or you just came to faith in Jesus, or listen, maybe you were sprinkled as an infant or you were, you had went through a confirmation class and you didn't even know Jesus, but your parents made you do it. And you have not been baptized since giving your life to Jesus. Maybe it just happened or maybe it happened a few years ago, but you haven't been baptized. I invite you, Now's your moment, okay? So stand up and you can walk out this way right over here, okay? In just a second, let's come on, let's give it up. Go ahead, start moving, come on, start moving. This is your moment, this is your moment, this is your moment, this is your moment, come on, come on, come on, come on. Some of y'all are wrestling right now, don't wrestle any longer. Don't wrestle any longer, yeah, that's it, come on. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Your family can go with you. Your family can go with you. Come right over here. (laughs) There it is, come on. There it is, there it is, come on. All right, so here's what's about to happen. Here's what's about to happen, okay? For about, say, seven or eight minutes, we're gonna worship together, all right? The band's gonna come out and we're gonna worship together. And as we do that, as people you know, do the registration, they get changed and all that sort of stuff. Um, a few people are gonna be getting baptized in this tank right here while we worship. Also, we have a mammoth tank in, in behind the building uh, where we'll try and put it up here on the screens. And so you'll see some people getting baptized. When that happens over the next few minutes, just go crazy. Just go crazy and praise Jesus for the work of God that he's doing inside their life. So about seven or eight minutes here, we're gonna worship together. So let's do this. Let's stand up to our feet. Let's proclaim that Christ is our firm foundation let's give him the glory that is due his name come on let's worship like the tomb is empty and jesus is alive he's still in the saving business he's still in the cleansing business come on people are being set free today people are getting saved today hell is getting plundered today heaven is getting more populated today people are going down with the old coming up with the new today and it's all because of jesus let's worship him come on